The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of the, his government and of peace, there will be no end. And the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from his time forth and forevermore the zeal of lord has host will do this Yeah, thanks to the Davis boys. Woo. That was great. If you don't think that's great, we're going to get you to read next week, all right? So this morning, we're starting our season, our Advent season, and um, the pastors got together uh, about two months ago and started dreaming about what we're going to do because we're always trying to think of a new way to kind of challenge and teach and lead us into Advent, and we came up with this idea to take ancient hymns with Scripture and marry them together and preach them both together. So we're going to be talking about these hymns that are familiar to you, that are just a part of our tradition, because years ago, the hymn we're going to talk about today, the earliest recording we have out of it is over 300 years ago, but back then, hymns were a way of us learning our traditions, learning our theology, learning Scripture. It was easier to learn a song than it maybe it was to read scripture at that time. And so we're going to be talking about how these have come together to teach us about the birth of Christ. So I thought it would be fun to, before we get into these noble hymns, to talk about some of the, the songs that didn't make the cut. Um, the first was Elliot down at 12 South thought that I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus might be a good song to kind of connect talking about how Jesus kisses us with his love, or maybe it's an adulterous generation that's kissing. Anyway. Then Daryl, who you may know from 12 South, also thought uh, that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer would be a great song for us to preach through. You know, that Rudolph was the savior of his people. He was a light in darkness. See the connection? Boy, you guys are sleeping this morning, aren't you? One of our pastors thought grandma got run over by a reindeer might be a good suggestion, but uh, being a grandfather, I was deeply offended by that age discrimination and felt if we changed the words to why Gen X got ran over by a reindeer, maybe I would consider it. I have to tell you that in the solitude of my office, I thought this was gold stuff right here. Obviously, y'all don't appreciate 
my humor in solitude. <laughs> but this morning, we're going to talk about uh, the birth of Christ, or the coming of Christ, and we're going to be talking about the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which I said earlier was first found uh, in a monastery back in the early 1700s. It was in Latin, and it wasn't until like the mid-1800s that it was translated into English and actually put to its modern term tune. But I want to read for you just the first of this song. Um, maybe you remember it. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And listen to this. In ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the sons of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And what I want us to do is pause for a minute and just put our minds around the haunting nature of this song. Um, it's a song that talks about just hard, gruesome things like captivity, imprisonment, the need for a ransom. It's talking about suffering. It's talking about, in the first three lines, mourning. It's talking about loneliness. It's talking about waiting. It's this picture of people that are imprisoned um, and yet they're waiting for their salvation, but in this imprisonment, there's mourning and there's loneliness and pain. In fact, the word Advent means coming, that we are a people that are looking to the future, that our Savior who came 2,000 years ago promised he's coming back. And this is a season where we pause our lives and remember and turn our heart's attention to the fact that he is coming. In fact, what we're declaring during Advent is that we are a people of waiting. We're awaiting people. And so uh, this may not be fun. Uh, Ru Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer may be a better song for you if you're not wanting to dive into your heart this morning. But waiting is painful. Like, I don't know uh, if you've ever been single. Um, well, all of us have been single at some point, haven't we? Don't worry. My mind will catch up with my mouth soon enough. But when you're single and you're wanting to be married, waiting is a painful experience. And maybe you're single this morning and you want to be married and you know what I'm talking about, the pain that's in waiting. Or maybe you have children and when one of your children gets sick and you're waiting for that child to get better, you're waiting and there's pain in the waiting. Or have you ever been in a relationship that, that was in conflict Maybe your marriage, or maybe your relationship with your parents, or maybe somebody you work with, and you're waiting for that relationship to be reconciled. That waiting is painful. It's hard. It's a struggle. Or during this coronavirus, or maybe this morning, uh, you're struggling with an addiction, and you're, you're suffering the consequences of your addictions just spreading its pain all over your life and all over the lives of the people around you because we say this all the time, when I am unable to deal with my sin, I force everybody around me to deal with it. And now you're waiting for healing. You're waiting for change in your own life, and it's painful. Waiting is just hard, and it's no different uh, for the very first Christmas. If you have a Bible, go with me to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to show you what I'm talking about because Jesus is, uh, is coming into the world, not in a sweet place, but he's coming into that painful waiting place. He's coming into the swampy mess of the world that we live in. 
And this is Luke chapter 1, and this is starting in verse 26. And this is the angel coming to Mary. And I want you to remember, Mary is not this, uh, you know, this noble, strong uh, woman who is queen of the world. This is a 13, maybe 14-year-old girl whose experiences were life are very limited, spending her entire life in her family's home and her daddy's house in a small town. Uneducated, possibly. Uh, not very wealthy, possibly. Very limited. Certainly, she's not had a lot of experience with angels. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, well, let's jump down to verse 29. No, let's stay with there, 26. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, descendant of David. Virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Let me read that again. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Hmm. And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and ever. And his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overwhelm you or overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who, said, who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And look at what she says, I am the Lord's servant. And Mary answered, may your words to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I want to come up here to verse 29. She was greatly troubled. The reason I want to point that out is because this is the world that Jesus is born into, a world that is troubled. And it's only the beginning of the trouble for Mary. If you've ever studied this before, maybe you're new to the Christian faith, this story doesn't get any easier for this young girl. She's a virgin who was with child, which was not common in that time. Okay. You can imagine the scandal. She was actually a child that was about to give birth to a child. If that's not hard enough, there's so much confusion. There's so much pain. There's so much trouble. Go read the Christmas story. It's, it's, it just reads almost like a nightmare of these two young people going against the wishes of their family to try to follow God and running for their lives even to a foreign country. But this is the world that Jesus was born into. And ever since the beginning of time, and I want you to grasp this, since the beginning of time, God has stepped into trouble and he has brought promise. And these two things I want to try to encourage you to hold on to as we start Advent this morning. Trouble with promise. Even if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, before God drop kicks man out of the garden, he turns to the serpent and he actually says to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. And he says, between your offspring and her offspring, and she, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Meaning, what he was saying to the serpent at that time, this may look bad now, this is trouble, but in the middle of this trouble, I'm going to give a promise. And a promise is, there's coming one that's going to crush your head. 
The offspring of man, the son of Adam, is going to come and destroy you. Trouble and promise. In fact, I want to suggest to you that you can't embrace the promise until you first embrace the trouble. Because the promise is pointless, isn't it? You see me spit. The promise, like if you have no trouble, what need do you have for promise? If nothing is hard for you, then why do you ever need a promise? You have everything that you need right now. And if you think you have everything you need, that there is no trouble now, then is it possible that you're actually blind to the reality of the world that you live in and blind to yourself? In fact, the depth in which you're willing to embrace the trouble of the world you live in and the trouble of your own heart will be equal to the ability to to grasp the promise. Are you tracking with me? So Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Nazi Germany who fled for his life because of the persecution that he was facing. And then his church was being persecuted, and as their pastor, he felt like it was his responsibility to go back, and he went back. He was eventually captured and died in a concentration camp. Listen to what he said. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and look, who look forward to something greater to come. Our Jesus has come, and we're waiting for him to come again, so we're a people of waiting. And, and here's what I'm going to do is in the next 15 minutes, I, w- I want to challenge you about how to wait. And this is going to be hard. Uh, I promise you it's going to be hard because I'm almost positive that you're like me, that you hate waiting. I hate it. I mean, I hate it in every bit of its form. I hate waiting in traffic. I don't like it. I just got to confess to you. I don't like it. I confessed that last week about me honking at somebody in traffic. I repented of that sin and I've done it again. All right. I am a repeat offender and I just do not like tolerate people that drive slow. I don't know why that is. Maybe because I'm a criminal when I get behind the wheel. That's possible. But I hate waiting in lines. I, I want you to know that I grew up in a time where if you ordered something uh, by mail, they would promise to get it to you by eight weeks. Eight weeks! And now when I order, order stuff on Amazon and it says, this will be delivered to you tomorrow, I go, what? Tomorrow? I thought this was coming today. I want instant satisfaction and gratification. Do you know that if you go to an amusement park, I have been told, I have been whispered in my ear promises from a foreign land, the promised land, that if you go to amusement parks now, they have this thing called express passes. Is that true? Or you pay extra money and you can go to the front of the line. Is that how that works? Please, somebody give testimony. Can I get a witness? Put your hand in the air. Yes, I get one. I am telling you right now, that would be worth going to any amusement park in the world just to walk past all the lines that are waiting. I think for about 10 seconds, I'd feel guilty. And then after that, I would gloat so much because I hate waiting in lines. You know, when we first went to an amusement park when I was a kid and um, we were waiting for the roller coaster, I remember my dad leaning down, and we're all fidgety, and we're like, come on, line, move, move, move. And my dad said, son, the anticipation is the best part. Liar. That is not true at all. I'm telling you right now, those people waiting in line for three hours to ride a roller coaster, in their anticipation, I've ridden it 10 times with my express pass. That riding it 10 times was so much better than standing in line. I'm just telling you, I know that. I know that. You know that. Waiting, 
Waiting is the troublesome thing that we have to do before we get to what we really want. And yet, for some crazy reason, and maybe you're new to Christianity, and welcome aboard, but I hate to break the news to you, is that God is not on your time frame. God is not on your time schedule. God is not saying to the angels in heaven, we better hurry up, I think they're getting frustrated. That is not our God. In fact, if you go back to Genesis all the way up to Revelation, God seems to be in no hurry at all. And he doesn't seem to move his people in a hurry. Go read the life of Moses or look at Abraham and Sarah. Like he promised them a child. And how long did they wait? Like 80 years. <laughs> or Jacob, he waited how many years for Rachel? Like 14 years or even Jesus, he didn't even enter ministry till he was 30, 30 years. I'm sure he could have done some great stuff in his early 20s. And I think it's possible that God knows something we don't know. Boy, that, that could be a whole nother sermon, isn't it? That I live my life with the awareness that God knows something I don't know. And by faith, I trust into his knowing, but I have to trust out of my knowing. And what I think God knows is, is that waiting, in the waiting, something happens to us. Something that God is doing in us. So let's talk about how to wait. The first thing that I just want to tell you uh, about waiting, the art of waiting, the trick of waiting, is just be in it. Just do it. What I mean by that is that I know that waiting is hard and I know that it's painful. And what I'm asking you to do is move into it, not move out of it. So Thanksgiving morning, I decide to go uh, to do my, my pre-glutton prep to keep me from feeling so guilty. So I went for a long walk. On, on Thanksgiving morning, like, this is going to make me feel so much better. Uh, it's, it's just a mind game, all right? And so I'm walking, and actually I'm trying to practice what I'm about to ask you to do, and I'm just really trying to be present with myself and my heart and how am I doing, what's been going on with me the last couple of weeks, just slowing down and just being there. And I'm walking, and I found myself just starting to feel a lot of the pain of relationships, pain of the burdens, pain of the culture that we live in. Do you know, I was even feeling some of the pain of that there are people today that don't have what I have. Just, I was feeling that and I'm walking and I'm kind of getting consumed in this mindset. And I was walking up by Vanderbilt near where, where Walgreens is by Brugger Bagels. And there's a guy that always sits out there, a homeless guy that always sits out there and I was so into myself, I didn't even see him until he said, good morning to me. And I look up and I look at him and I go, man, good morning. How's it going? And uh, he goes, uh, it's okay. You know, it would be better if I could get some pork rinds. He said, you can walk right through that door. And for $3.99, you can get me some pork rinds and my day would be so much better. And uh, we start talking and I'm laughing and this guy is in rags. He sleeps on the streets. Uh, his left arm is gone. 
Uh, maybe you've seen him. Maybe you've gone and bought him pork rinds. I've done that before. I had no problem buying him pork rinds. And so we talk for a little while longer. I give him some pork rinds and I start walking on. And here's what happened in my head. Whatever I'm dealing with, I'm not dealing with that. Whatever pain that I've got going on in my life, at least I have both my arms. Whatever pain that is in my heart right now, at least I have a bed that I sleep in tonight. Whatever pain that's going on in my life, I am walking back to my home where my family is waiting for me and I don't need anybody to buy me pork rinds. And the Holy Spirit stepped in and went, just slapped me across the face. Because let me tell you what I was doing. Wow, that was kind of violent, wasn't it? All right. As a hell, well, Holy Spirit. Here's what I was doing. There's a part of us that we, we so hate pain that we are looking for every out possible. There's a part of us that no matter what it is, whether it's suffering emotionally or physically, we want out. And what I was doing at that moment was I was minimizing my pain by comparing it to his so that I wouldn't have to feel my pain. I was using him not as to be noble, but I was using him not to face me. Because there's a part of me, and I'm sure there's a part of you too, that's always looking for an out. We're always looking for distractions. In fact, we are the masters of distraction. We don't want to wait. We don't want to wait in pain. Have you ever gone to a doctor's office and watched people in a waiting room? Nobody's just sitting there contemplating life. Nobody's just sitting there just pausing and wondering about their existence. Everybody's on their phone or the TV's blasting. They're looking for every distraction possible because we've lost the gift of silence. We've lost the gift of solitude. It's gone. In fact, um, we live in a culture now where if you're like me, um, you have access to distractions every moment, every second of your day. If you've seen the movie Social Dilemma, the documentary on Netflix, uh, have you seen that? Have you guys seen that? You don't watch it, all right? Because it will wreck kind of how you entertain yourself and distract yourself. Because, you know, the stats that are out now is that an average American spends anywhere from 3 to 12 hours a day in front of a screen. 3 to 12 hours a day. Half our lives are in front of a screen. And what are we doing? We're, we're attending our attention to something other than ourselves and the Lord. In fact, the movie Social Dilemma talks about that we're the product. In fact, our attention is the product being sold to advertisers. And one of the quotes from this movie is, how much of your life can we get you to give us is the mantra of social media. Tristan Harris, who was uh, one of the founders uh, or the former designer of Google, said, we're trained in conditioning, conditioning a whole generation of people that when we are uncomfortable or lonely or uncertain or afraid, we have a digital pacifier for ourselves. She goes on to talk about that this digital pacifier takes us away from ourselves and actually begins to kill our own ability to feel ourselves. 
distractions and entertainment, anything to keep us from feeling the pain of our own lives, anything from keeping us from the trouble of the world that we live in, anything that keeps us in this place where we don't have to dive into how much we need Emmanuel to come. But we use other things besides social media. We also use medication. Some of you drink. Some of you take pills. Um, Some of you use sex. Some of you do a lot of things. Anything to keep yourself from falling into the trap of finding yourself in silence and solitude, where you experience the hardships and the pain of waiting. Thomas Merton, his book, The Thoughts in Solitude, he said, if our life, this is so good, and don't discard this because he was a monk, um, a priest, but, um, and lived in a monastery with no social connections. Like, but there's a depth in what he's saying. If our life is poured out in useless words, we will never hear anything, never become anything. And in the end, because we have said everything before we had anything to say, we shall be left speechless at the moment of our greatest decisions. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I took all the pastors of Midtown and we went over to the go-kart track, the indoor go-kart track up here um, in the Gulch. Have you guys been? It's these electric go-karts that go like 40 miles an hour. And the goal there was to uh, bring out the child and all of our pastors and let them laugh together. And what it brought out was this fierce competition. And you're flying around these corners and you're trying not to run into each other. And I can promise you that in those moments, there wasn't one pastor that was thinking about his soul. All he was thinking about was his time and is he going to beat the guy in front of him. And that's what life does to us. Life gets us so busy. We're so, we're so busy racing some race against people we don't even know that we have no time to think about ourselves. We even get into the busy race of consuming ourselves with other people's problems. It's not just social media. It's not just medication. But I can get consumed with you. I can start gossiping and I can gossip so much that I'm so distracted by you that I never see me. I can get into the blame game. If you want to avoid your own heart, find people to blame. Like find your parents to blame. Like if you have suffered pain from your parents, that's legitimate. But if you spend your whole life blaming them for your pain rather than walking into your pain and saying, that's now my pain, that I need to walk into the trouble of it so that I can embrace the promise of it, then you're avoiding some of the richest things in life. Everything and anything to avoid my heart, to avoid my trouble. And so I want to I encourage you during this Advent season, would you stop? Would you stop and would you find silence? And would you listen to what's going on in your own story? Would you listen, as Mary said, she was greatly troubled. Would you listen to the trouble of your own heart? Would you listen to the trouble of your own world? Would you listen to the pain of your own story? Because when we do that, here's what happens. This is really beautiful. Like, I know a lot of people that that feel like they never hear from Jesus. They've known Jesus for a long time, but they say, I don't even know how to hear from Jesus. And I think it's because they never learned how to hear from themselves. See, the Jesus that we're here to worship today, you know the only part of you that he's interested in is the real you. And if you're uninterested in the real you, then why would Jesus be interested in the fake you? For me to get to know Jesus, I have to first be willing to have the courage to get to know myself. 
In fact, for me to experience the kiss of Jesus, as Elliot said, you know, mama kissed Santa Claus. For me to experience that kiss, I have to know where I need Jesus to kiss me. Where do you need Jesus to come and kiss you? Because what happens is, is when I'm aware of that and I turn my face to the promise in the midst of my trouble, I experience something from the Holy Spirit. See, it says in Romans 8, for we all know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Like the whole world is groaning. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, his redemption of our bodies. There is a groan in all of us. You know, um, pain allows me, that groan allows me to be present. But it's, it's something that's very hard for you and for me. So back in August, I was in the airport, and um, I was waiting. I got off early because I set up close, but all my friends were coming off the plane. And as I was standing at the gate, uh, I noticed another plane was coming off another gate. And there was a lady coming out <clears throat> of her gate where the carpet met the hard floor there at the Nashville airport. She tripped and she fell. And it wasn't just a kind of little stumble. I mean, it was like a full out, like flesh hitting hard concrete, kind of hard, hard fall. And you just, when she hit, you just heard her groan. Mm, just in, everybody stopped. <clears throat> and you guys would have been proud of humanity because at that point, just the whole crowd coming off the plane stopped and they all gathered around her and helped her up. And it was obvious she was hurt. She was hurting. And they got her to a seat to where she could take a breath. And everybody was attending to her and making sure she had what she needed. It was beautiful in the way people were treating her. And you know what was going through my mind? I never want to be in that position. Never. I don't ever want the embarrassment. And here's the embarrassment. That I'm in such pain. And I've, I've blown it so big that a whole crowd of strangers has to stop their plans to help me. I don't ever want to be that vulnerable. I don't ever want to be in that much need. I hate that. And you know what waiting does? Jesus says, stop hating that. Embrace where you need me. And invite me to that place. And the reason is because Jesus in that waiting wants to do something in our lives. And let me tell you what he wants to do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, Blessed, this is verse 3, 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. And he is the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort for which we ourselves are comforted by God. Here's what God says. If you will pause, if you will wait, if you will hear the groan of your own soul and turn your face to the promise that Advent stirs into a flame, then it will come and bring comfort to your soul. And when it brings comfort to our soul, guess what happens? I become an agent of comfort in the world that I live in. 
in a world that groans, now I actually get to bring that comfort. That kiss that kissed me in my need now gives me strength to go out those doors and give a kiss to the world. So that's what Advent is. That's what I'm going to challenge you to. Would you slow down and get silent? Would you have the courage to hear your heart? Would you have the courage to hear your groan? Would you have the courage to say, Lord, I'm waiting for you in my relationships, in my addictions, in my struggles, in my loneliness, in my captivity. And when you come by here and comfort me so that I can comfort the world. So this is from Fleming Rutledge, um, one of my favorite authors, and she wrote a book on Advent. And she tells a story about a New York uh, Times article that came out in 1996. This is the story of this neighborhood, this suburb in America somewhere, um, that there was a family on this street during December that had a menorah in the window, you know, the Jewish candles and um, shining bright in their window, a Jewish family. And one night, some vandals came and smashed the window and took the menorah out and smashed it on the driveway and then painted swastikas all over the side of their house. The story goes on to say that the next night, every front window in that neighborhood was lit up. And what was in the middle of that light? A menorah. Every neighbor in that neighborhood the next night displayed a menorah in the front window of their house. Isn't that beautiful? But let's step behind the lines. How did that happen? Like, do you think that everybody in that neighborhood had the same idea at the same time? And they thought, hey, let's all, I'm just going to go get a menorah. I'm sure nobody else is thinking about this. And they came out that night and said, whoa, check it out. Everybody had the same idea. No, 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 no. I think more than likely there was some woman who was making waffles for her kids the next morning. She's got a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. Let's call her Sally. And she's smoking and she's yelling at her kids and going, I can't believe those people did that to our neighbors down the street. Can you believe that? That's unbelievable. And she's chain smoking through breakfast and getting ashes all over Junior's waffles. And she's saying to herself, I will not let this stand. We're going to change this. And she gets on the phone and starts calling our neighbors and says, hey, I think we need to do something. What do you think we ought to do? I think I got an idea. This is what we're going to do. We're all going to put menorahs in our windows. And then one of the neighbors goes, well, what is a menorah? Don't worry. I'll let you know what a menorah is. And so she finds out what a menorah is and calls back and says, I found out what it is. We're going to put one in our window. Now, oh, really? Are we? Where do we get a menorah? I don't know. I'll call you back later. And she gets on and she's chain smoking and she's on the computer and she's going, oh, this is where menorahs are. I can get the discount. Buy them in bulk. And then they call every neighbor and say, hey, we're buying menorahs for everybody. Well, Sally, do you have enough money? No, I spent all my money on Marlboros. <laughs> call Bert. Bert's got lots of money. Bert, we need a lot of money to go buy some menorahs. And so she calls Bert and Bert says, no, pro no problem. I'll write a check for everything. And then she has to get in her car and tell her kids, I'm, I'm going to be late picking you up from volleyball practice. Why? Because I got to go get some Marlboros and some menorahs. And so she drives across town and she buys all these menorahs and she puts them in her trunk and then she gets back to her neighborhood and she's going door to door delivering while her kids are sitting in school waiting for her to come pick them up. And when they get home, she goes, I don't have any dinner for you. Why? Because I've been out buying menorahs. Eat peanut butter. That's probably what happened. 
Because every act of comfort costs, doesn't it? And every act of comfort has to come from somebody. It has to start with somebody smoking a cigarette saying, I'm not going to stand for this. Hey, guys, as we're walking into Advent, we walk into a world as people with hope. That's us. That's who we are. But if you're unwilling to let that hope touch your deepest heart, then what kind of comfort are you giving to the world? You're giving them a religion. That world doesn't need more religion. What they need are people that have been honest enough with themselves to know that my heart is troubled and I live in a troubled place and a troubled land and a troubled time. But I am the people that hold on to the promise. And this Advent, I'm not afraid to wait. But let the comfort of my Savior come and kiss me so during this season I can go into a world and kiss it with something deeper than just good intentions. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Lord, um, we just pause right now and just confess to you that we are afraid sometimes to be honest with our own hearts to be honest with our deep need for something outside of us to come and rescue us from ourselves, to feel our loneliness and to feel our mourning, to feel our grief and our sorrow, to allow your Holy Spirit to groan with us and for our souls to groan and harmonize with the groan of all of creation. Allow us, Father, to be people that go there as people that go there to experience the kiss of the promise your comfort would comfort us in this season and in that comfort Lord we would find that joy dances with sorrow that joy dances with mourning and that comfort is something we have plenty of in Christ's name we pray. Amen.